great to see everybody. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for all of you joining us in online as well. Um, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of First Timothy. Uh, in this series called Be the Church, we're just systematically going through the book of First Timothy and um, it's a you know pretty timely um, thing for us to be going through as we are looking to um, you know expand going to a sec- another campus and we have all these other uh, ethnic congregations kind of coming to us as well and so just asking some questions of how does this affect us who we are how we do things that sort of thing so very timely for us to be going systematically through this book which is written by the Apostle Paul uh, to his young protege Timothy. Uh, and Tim, Paul had left Timothy in the city of Ephesus to deal with some issues the church was having. And so Paul was very close to the church at Ephesus during Acts chapter 20. Paul has gone back and forth to Ephesus several times. He has a really good relationship with them. He knows the elders that serve there. And uh, in Acts chapter 20, he talks about one of his last addresses to the elders. And, and so since then, now he's, he's left Timothy there to continue that work. And so just a lot of good counsel from Paul to Timothy, not only about that specific church in the city of Ephesus, but also a lot of great counsel for all churches throughout the rest of time, including Canaan Baptist Church. Amen? So it's good for us to be going through this. So uh, today we're going to be looking at um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to cover verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 5 and look at a few verses there. But for now, we'll just start with 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So if you could please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We will look at this um, teaching from the Apostle Paul. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray together this morning. Father, it's so good just to be gathered together in your name. Lord, just to sing these songs to you, these great songs about you that focus us on you and just your majesty, your your glory, your splendor. Um, Lord, the salvation you give us freely through Jesus Christ. And God, to, to celebrate you as the creator, the author, sustainer of the universe. So God, it is so good for us to be here and do this right here. Lord, it's good for us to open your word and delve into the scriptures and, and to understand um, your teaching, your commands. Also, where you reveal your character and your ways. So God, we, we thank you for this privilege. Help us not to take this for granted ever. God, as we unpack this concept of elder overseer, I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, lead us and guide us and uh, see what you're, you would have for us today. And God, even beyond that, we pray that, um, God, if anyone's here who's just kind of checking Christianity out, I pray, God, that they hear the gospel very clearly today, and today they would respond in faith. So, Lord, this is your time. We commend it to you. Use it for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. 
invite you to take out your sermon notes if you've got those in the way in, or you can also open up the Canaan STL app and uh, pull up the sermon notes on there and follow along, fill in the blanks all on the app. And at the end of the time, you can email it to yourself so you have a record of it. But we always encourage taking notes. Um, it just really helped me throughout my walk with Jesus when I'm listening to a message to write some things down that God may be you know, revealing to me. And sometimes it's through the message directly, or sometimes I hear something in the message that spurs my thinking, and God uses that to reveal something else to me, you know? So not that I let my mind drift while I'm listening to sermons, but, you know, as I know, none of you do that at all, never, right? Um, but it's, all, it's a very healthy uh, practice, very healthy discipline. So we always encourage that. So today, as we look at this, our, our big thought is simply this, that in order to be the church, according to the New Testament, right, we must be led by men of God who love Jesus, who love his church, and who stay humble through serving, accountability, and encouragement. So, you know, you show me a a healthy church, and that church will have a healthy set of pastors, elders leading them, guiding them, encouraging them, shepherding them. I don't think I've ever seen a healthy church with unhealthy leadership. I don't think it happens, right? So it's very important that we understand what that looks like biblically. There's a lot of models of church leadership that have been kind of thrust upon the church, but there's also the biblical models. And so we wanna make sure, right, that what we do is always biblical first and foremost, amen? Because this is our standard. This is the, the, the letters of the Lord to us on how to do things. And so, Pastors, elders are often a misunderstood role. The pastor, the senior pastor is not a CEO, right? I am not a CEO. I'd be a horrible CEO, right? Um, Not business tycoons, but pastors, elders are leaders. They're theologians, husbands, fathers, counselors, disciples, disciple makers, Christ followers, managers, conflict resolvers, peacemakers, visionaries, administrators, chaplains, a lot of hats, a lot of hats that that these men are called to wear. You know, in our culture, church culture in America, it's kind of a a funny meme I saw on Facebook not long ago. I tried to go find it and I couldn't find it, but it said this, it says, many pastors come out of seminary thinking they're going to go change the world. And then they get fired for trying to change the order of service. Unfortunately, I have seen some of those scenarios happen, but, but it can happen. So who are these guys, these elders, overseers, pastors, and what are they called to do? So let's just jump right into our text today and ask number one, what is this office of overseer? Paul starts off here. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, aspires to a noble task. So what is this office of overseer? What's this all about? Well, first we see it, Paul says it's something to aspire to, Right? And I know that's not exactly correct grammar. You're not supposed to end their preposition, but something with which to, into which aspire, just, that was just weird. So something to aspire to. So aspirations, these are a good thing. If you aspire to something, we all aspire to something. We all want to be like somebody. You know, like right now in the past 20 years, there's probably been a lot of kids that aspired to be like this guy. How many of you got any Tom Brady fans out there? All right, got a woo out there. All right, all right. Hey, whether you like him or not, you got to respect him. He's the GOAT, you know, the greatest of all time. Um, But other aspirations, are we going to see this happen? 700, right? Yeah. Anybody, anybody growing up aspire to be baseball players, whatnot? (laughs) Yep. Of course, some of you young, you might be aspiring to be like pool hosts, 
What a great player. Maybe you're growing up here, maybe some of you older folks, you aspired to be this guy. Who's that? Stan the man, Stan Musial. Probably the greatest cardinal of all time, according to pop culture here in St. Louis, right? Aspirations. We, we have these people we look up to. We have these people, whether it's, you know, athletes or, you know, entertainers, but we have different, maybe it's, maybe it's politicians. I don't know, but maybe, uh, but you have different people you aspire to. Here's the, here's the thing. We, we aspire to that whom we celebrate, right? And so as a culture, who we celebrate is going to directly impact who our kids aspire to be like. So we've got to be careful. We need to, we need to celebrate missionaries and leaders for the gospel and people who make great sacrifices for the kingdom of God. That's who we need to celebrate, amen? Because as we celebrate these great folks, then we're encouraging the next generation to aspire to be like them. To have people like Lottie Moon up here or um, you know, great theologians like I know, modern day, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, just incredible people, men of God who love Jesus, missionaries who go and serve and, you know, just completely forsake their own life. You know, a few years ago when we first started our work in West Africa, and a lot of you know this story, but we were linked up with an IMB missionary named Don Steltzer, and Don had surrendered to the ministry at the age of 45, right? So just a little bit younger than me now, he was a very successful veterinarian, had a great veterinarian practice, but he gave all of that up to follow the call of Jesus to take the gospel across the ocean to Africa. And because of what he did that started something that not only pertains to us, but many others, but now because of what he's done, we've gone over there, we've connected with a couple of villages in this people group called the Fulani, and by God's grace, now we've seen several conversions, and now we have 13 house churches meeting in West Africa because of what started with a 45-year-old guy that felt the call to go into missions, abandon everything, abandon his successful practice, moved his wife and his three kids to a different culture, immersed in the culture, and then spearheaded a lot of churches coming on missions, including Canaan Baptist Church. Isn't that awesome? We need to celebrate people like Don Stelter, Amen. That's who we need to celebrate. We need to aspire to be like them. <laughs> Absolutely. So, let's, so as we do this, here Paul talks about that being an overseer. And we'll talk about what that is here in a second. But it is something to aspire to. And secondly, similarly, it's a noble task. It is a noble task. Meaning it's, it's honorable. It's worthy. It's, it's filled with purpose. And... It's fruitful in the kingdom of God. You know? Yeah, we can, we can all go work secular jobs and hopefully make a lot of money, but do you take your money with you? Nope, the old joke goes, you know, never seen a, a hearse pull a U-Haul, right? Doesn't happen. We don't take any of this physical stuff with us. But the people we share the gospel with, the ministry, the, the way we pour into people, people last forever, we can take people with us. And so let's live our life on that noble, honorable task of taking as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. That's what Vision 2025 is all about, for us living our life on purpose for the gospel. And so we have this office of overseer. So what is an overseer? Well, let me just, there's, there's some confusion on this, I think, in the church culture in America. So let's just be clear. The overseer 
is a pastor, who is an elder. Those three terms we're gonna see are used pretty interchangeably. So we go to this slide. Here's where these words come from. You might find some of these words familiar. The Greek word for elder is presbyteros, where we get the word Presbyterian. Anybody know what the word Presbyterian, right? The, the denomination, Presbyterian, and they are governed by a board of elders. That's why they're called Presbyterian, because they're what we call elder-ruled, right? So they're not congregational. Presbyterian churches don't vote on things. There's a group of elders called the Presbytery. Then they, they kind of oversee multiple churches, right? So that's, that's the presbyteros. Overseer, this is from the Greek word episkopos. Sometimes you see this word translated bishop. Like as we read the text in 1 Timothy 3, if you don't have English standard, maybe you have a different translation, it might say anyone who um, aspires to the office of bishop, right? So when we think of bishop, you might think of Catholic or Episcopalian or something like that. Well, the Greek word just simply means overseer, one who oversees or sometimes is translated bishop. That's a later rendering. And then you have the Greek word pastor, which is the Greek word poimen. It's translated, usually translated shepherd. There's only one time in the New Testament where that word is translated pastor. That's in Ephesians 4, where Paul says, talking about Jesus, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So we see that word, but we see the word shepherd a lot. In fact, we see these three terms kind of used interchangeably in several passages. We see 1 Peter chapter five, the elders, that's the word presbyteros, who are among you, I exhort. Now you know who Peter is. Peter's writing this. Peter's the apostle Peter, right? The one who denied Jesus three times and Jesus restores and goes on in Acts chapter two, preaches the amazing sermon at Pentecost where 3,000 people are saved. Y'all know that story, right? Well, this is that Peter who's writing this. So he says, the elders, presbyteros, who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder, presbyteros, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He continues, shepherd, there's the word poiment, shepherd, pastor, the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, episkopos, not by complaint, compulsion, but willingly. So you see those three terms, Peter uses interchangeably for the same group of guys, elders, pastors, overseers. We also see this in Acts chapter 20. Mention this, this is Paul addressing the elders of this same church he's writing to, to Timothy about Ephesus. He says this now from Miletus, this he being Paul, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, the presbyteros of the church to come. Now notice elders are plural there. We'll get to that later, but elders of the church, so one church, multiple elders to come. And when they came to him, he said to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, to care for, there's the word poiment, to pastor, to shepherd, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So again, both from Peter and now from Paul, we see the same office referred to using three different terms. Pastor, overseer, elder. Everybody, everybody clear on that, right, so far? So in our culture, we know we, we see different terms kind of synonymous with different groups. But it's not just that. Even in our own Southern Baptist Convention, we've seen this words, these words used a little differently. So we have this document called the Baptist Faith and Message. Anybody ever heard of that before? 
Yeah, it's a really good document. I encourage you, if you have not read the Baptist Faith and Message, it's really short. It's just kind of the, the consensus of what Southern Baptist churches believe, right? It's kind of like our statement of faith. So if you haven't read that, I encourage you to do so. Well, there's been three versions of the Baptist Faith and Message. The first one we have was written in 1925. And here's what the Baptist Faith and Message 1925 says about the gospel church. Right, and I'm gonna read all of this, and I'm gonna read all the next two, just highlight a part. But it says it's a church of Christ, is a congregation of baptized believers, associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the ordinances of Christ, governed by His laws, exercising the gifts, the rights, and privileges invested into them by His Word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Here we go. Its scriptural offices are bishops or elders and deacons. That's pretty interesting. Now, I know most of you were not alive in 1925. We have anybody that was. Ms. Gladys might have been, but I don't think she's here. But she would have been like a two-year-old, right? Ms. Gladys is 99 years old. Isn't that great? It's amazing. But anyway, so in 1925, there's no mention of pastors, But then we fast forward to 1963, Baptist Faith and Message. And I'm going to skip the first paragraph because it's similar, added a little bit. But we get to hear the church is an autonomous body operating through democratic processes, right? So we're congregational, which means the church, you get the final say on all the big stuff, right? Under the lordship of Jesus Christ and such a congregation, members are equally responsible. Its scriptural offices are what? Pastors and deacons. So now bishops and elders were replaced with pastors. But it's the same office. Now, most of you probably did not grow up in a... How many of you did grow up in a Baptist church? Just raise your hand. All right. Did you call anybody call your pastor bishop? <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that either, right? But I guess back in the old days, that's the way it was. Um, pastor, I mean, bishops, elders, and deacons. But in 63, that changed. And then we have the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is the current edition. Um, go to the next one here. We see very similar to the 63. Each congregation operates under the Lordship of Christ through democratic processes and such a congregation. Each member is responsible and accountable for Christ to, as, to Christ as Lord. Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. And as we discussed last Sunday, we added this, the, the Baptist Faith and Message added this. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastors limited to men is qualified by scripture. So that's the Baptist Faith and Message. So we see that change. We see how bishops, overseer, elders, um, and pastors are all kind of the same. It's the same office. Somebody asked, well, why, why did we change? Why did... SBC abandoned the use of the word elder, which the word elder is all over the New Testament. You see it everywhere. You see pastor one time. Why did we change? You know, I'm not really sure. There's my ideas. I know at one point, how many of you heard of the Church of Christ? It's kind of a, a group. Yep. The Church of Christ, they, they have elders. Well, the Church of Christ split off of the Baptist church, right, back around the late 1800s, early 1900s. In fact, the, the church that I pastored in, in Nashville, we, we planted a church. Five years later, we we merged with an existing church, and that church in their founding documents that started in 1896 was called the Mount View Baptist Church of Christ. Well, that's interesting right there, right? Um, so anyway, so one 
possible reason is with the Church of Christ, they had elders, and we didn't want to be tied to that at all, so we just changed. We're just having pastors, which is kind of a silly reason, but biblically, they're, the, they're all the same. So that's the office of elder, bishop, overseer, pastor. All right. Oh, let's keep going here. So who can be an elder, pastor? I'm going to use these words interchangeably. Who can, who can be one of these guys? Well, there's a lot of qualifications here. So we're going to go through these pretty quickly. Um, the first is a born-again man who has a good reputation. So we see here that, therefore, an, an overseer must be above reproach. That has to do with reputation. It's hard to pin fault and you know, anything wicked and evil on him. Sober-minded, says, self-controlled, respectable. And there at the end of this, well thought of by outsiders. All four of these different concepts Paul uses to talk about it. What, you know, what's, what's the qualification of the elder? Well, he's got to be, a, he has to have a good reputation. He can't be known as, you know, a drunkard. He can't be known as not having self-controlled or impulsive. He's got to be respectable, have a good reputation of outsiders. Those are four things here Paul mentions. Secondly, must be a born-again man who manages his family well. I think we've all had seen horror stories about this. I know the church that I grew up in, right before I was born, a church that had a pastor who was a great pastor. He loved the people. He served well. The church grew from about 150 to about 250 while he was there. And just a really good season. He was just a godly man. Well, then his wife died. She died of cancer. And he was only like in his mid-50s. And then what happened, he remarried pretty quickly. And she was not a very godly lady. And so she would come to church. A lot of times she would be drunk when she was at church. It's just, just crazy stuff like that. Well, it became a disqualifying issue because he had married this lady who was more disruptive to the ministry than helpful. So this family piece is so important. A born-again man who manages his family well. Here's some particular thing that Paul mentions here. He mentions a, a, a husband of one wife, and that can be rendered a one-woman kind of man. So the Greek word for woman and wife is the same. The Greek word for husband and man is the same. And so as we talked about this before here at Canaan. That doesn't necessarily mean if you have a divorce, you're automatically disqualified. It's who are you now? What is going on now? Are you a one-woman man now? And you can be just married to one wife but still be all ate up with pornography or whatever and not be a one-woman kind of man. So it's even a deeper issue than simply what's your marital status. It is, what is your heart towards your wife? Are you completely devoted to your wife? You know, are you still have eyes for others or et cetera? So who are you right now? Shows hospitality. That's a family thing. Is his family show hospitality? Are they welcoming to guests and to other church members and non-believers into their home? Are their children submissive? Now this, yeah, help my kids out here. I got seven of them, right? This doesn't mean your kids are perfect because if you're a parent, raise your hand if you're a parent, there's no such thing as perfect kids, right? So yeah, they're gonna have times of disobedience. You know, teenagers are gonna be teenagers and I mean, when I was a teenager, I made some really dumb decisions. That's, that's going to happen as part of it. So this isn't like the kid's got to be perfect. But is there an overall, is there a respect of the kids for their parents? 
Is there still a level of respect for the kids for authority? But especially, is there a level of respect of the kids for the gospel and the work of God and the word of God? So this doesn't mean perfect kids. And, you know, we know the cliches that usually some of the worst kids in the church are the pastor's kids, right? Um, prayerfully, that's not the case here, but, uh, but that's kind of a thing. But how are the kids? Are they being submissive? So all of these, you're looking at how the pastor, how the elder manages his family. Is he born again? And thirdly, a born again man free from any current addictions. Just mentions not a drunkard. So not addicted to any kind of substance. So this would include more than just alcohol. This would include, you know, drugs, illegal drugs, etc. Be free from addiction. It could also be, include things like pornography, etc. Must not be a fighter, or brawler, or violent. Paul mentions that. So can be a violent person. <laughs> that same guy that I'll talk about um, as a pastor, when he, when he left because of his wife, they got another guy who's a very short-term guy. And this guy, he was kind of a brawler. In fact, one of my early, early childhood memories was we had a business meeting. And after the business meeting, the pastor had kind of gotten into an argument with one of the deacons in the church. And after the business meeting, they were outside behind the church, and I really thought they were going to start swinging. <laughs> it was horrible. Of course, as a, like, I don't know, four or five-year-old, I'm like, this is awesome, right? But it was terrible. It was terrible. Not godly at all. But that can happen, right? Anyway, uh, born again, man who is not new in the faith. Must not be a novice in the faith. Back to addictions, must not be abusive. I missed that. Must not be abusive or greedy. Um, that's a big deal. And right now, we're air convention we're dealing with some fallout from um, men who have been abusive in their position. And that is just absolutely unacceptable, right? Whether it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, there's just no place for that in the kingdom of God. That is a disqualifying event for an elder pastor. So it should not be so. Um, tragically, you know, everybody's a sinner and we succumb to temptations, all of us, but it should not be so. Letter D, a born again man who is, who is not new to the faith, must not be a novice in the faith, must be, uh, so must be able to teach. That's a prerequisite. It has to be able to teach, not a recent convert, because if it's a recent convert, become an elder, can be puffed up with pride and conceit. And then, let's skip over now. Let's look at chapter five. You have your Bible open there. I just want to read a couple verses out of here before we read this last point. Chapter five, verse 17, kind of reverts back to the elder's position. And so Paul writes here in chapter five, verse 17 of 1 Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. So what is Paul getting at here? So this next truth is, um, comes from this, this part of the text is that a born again man who may not normally preach and teach can also be an elder. So here Paul says, give worth, you know, Render the elders who rule among you double honor. That has some pay. That's where we justify paying pastors and whatnot. But it says, then especially those who preach or teach. 
which implies there are those who could be elders, pastors, who don't regularly preach and teach. Now, according to scripture, they have to be able to teach, but that may not be their role, their function. And so that kind of opens the door a little bit to why we see so many plurality of elders in scripture, but we'll, we'll get to that. So that's, those are who can be elders. Number three, what do elders and pastors do? We do a little bit more than just work on Sunday and Wednesday. We do a little bit more than that. Um, so what do we do? Well, here, they serve in a plurality. Every time in scripture you see elders being talked about, it's always in the plural. Regardless of the size, it's always in the plural. Here, there's one church in Ephesus, when Paul addresses them in Acts chapter 20, as Paul talks to Timothy here about the church in Ephesus, elders are plural. When Paul tells Titus to go to Crete and appoint elders, plural, in each church, singular, you see elders is always plural. There's a lot of health in that, a lot of accountability in that, but they serve in a plurality. So that's, that's one thing. Secondly, what else do elders do? They care, I'm sorry, they lead God's people. Lead God's people. Elders, as we see, they're not, they're not rulers. They don't like dictate, but they lead, they guide, they shepherd the church along. And we'll look at some scriptures on this here in a little bit, but they, they're the leaders in the church. Third, they care for God's people, shepherding them. We see verses like James 5, 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's a role of the elders, to care for those who are sick, to pray over those who are sick when invited. Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders. Leaders who refers to the elders, pastors, overseers. Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So here we see, you know, the role of the elder is not a, like a, it's not like a, a business management board. It's not that at all. This is a group of men who are shepherding the people, right? Your pastors, elders are called to love you, to care for you, to minister to you, to make sure as much as we can, we're meeting needs, that the body is working to serve you and help you meet needs. We're also watching over your own spiritual journey. I mean, sometimes we've, we, like, we have to take some people aside and have some hard conversations because, you know, they're just they're kind of going astray a little bit. Those are not fun, but that's part of the role of pastors, elders, caring for your souls. Because our job is to make sure that every one of us, when that day comes and we stand before Jesus, after having to give an account that you're in, right, and that you're walking with the Lord, and you don't have to fear that day. We're here to watch after your souls. Because this is all preparatory for that big day that's coming for all of us. Next. Oh, I, I didn't put that up here, did I? Letter D, they feed God's people in the word. They feed God's people in the word. We're part of a shepherd's role is to make sure you get fed. That's the teaching of the words. We're here to make sure that truth is being declared, not just here in the worship time, but also in small groups, you know, things that we encourage you to read at home. It's got to be as part of the shepherding, make sure you're being fed the word of God, because the word of God is powerful. Like Jesus says to, to Satan when he tempted him, Jesus said, it's written, man should not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we need that in our lives, the word of God, being fed the word of God constantly. 
And then letter E, they protect God's people. Shepherds take their cue from the good shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So what do we protect you from? Well, false, false teaching. A lot of times we protect you from um, people that come in and might try to lead us or lead you astray. Um, just there's all kinds of stuff. We try to, you know, we were looking at launching a ministry um, after the new year that deals with pornography addiction. Um, just all of that is to protect the flock from the many wiles of the enemy. Because what does Satan want for you? What does Satan want for us? He wants to destroy us. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so what Paul is getting at for the New Testament teaching here, what does Baptist polity, what should it look like? Well, according to the scriptures and our Baptist faith and message documents, Baptist polity should be congregationally ruled. So we see like in Acts 15, they're having a conversation, having a kind of an argument really, because the church, God's people had historically been Jewish primarily, but now all these Gentiles are being saved, you know, and they have different culture with them. They have different backgrounds. You know, they, they eat food sacrificed to idols, which we're like, what in the world does that mean? But that was a big thing back then, right? And so they have all these issues. And so the church got together, it's called the first, it's the first church council, Acts 15. So how do we do this? Well, then one of the elders named James, Jesus's half brother, makes this suggestion where he says, you know, let's just ask the Gentiles not to be sexually immoral. That's probably a good thing. And to abstain from food sacrificed to idols. And then it says, and it pleased the congregation, right? Now, we don't know exactly what that looked like. We don't know if they're all in favor. We don't, we don't, I don't think they had Robert's Rule of Orders back then. But somehow, the congregation communicated they were in favor of that recommendation. So they had the, the final say-so affirmation approval on that event. So that's one place where we see this model where the congregation gets the final say-so in these big issues. Secondly, elder-led the leaders are the elders, pastors, overseers that we just talked about. And then third is deacon served. We're going to talk about deacons next week as we get on into 1 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verses 8 through the end of the chapter. Um, but that's the model, the biblical model of how the church is to run. So why is this all so important? Why well, spend a Sunday morning, you know, when we may have people here who aren't in that relationship with Jesus yet, why is it important for us to go through and talk about this? Because God's church is to be about God's kingdom. We're about making disciples of the nations. We're about exalting Christ. We're about growing in Christ. We're about serving Christ. And the church is God's strategy for accomplishing all that. I mean, right now, I mentioned with 13 church, house churches in West Africa, you know, we're launching a, a, a new campus about the first of the year. Um, we're, you know, next week, our Melville team is going to go lead worship and conduct services at a sister church in Webster Groves. It'd be a great experience for them, but we're exporting the gospel to a different community. We have a Nepali gospel congregation. Uh, Mario and, his, and Hilda, Virgie Pradrin, they're moving here to plant a church in Fairmont City. I mean, there's a lot of gospel advancement going on. But we must make sure 
that we also have the, the flexibility and the structure in place to accurately, effectively, and in a godly way with a lot of accountability, oversee all that. And so this is very timely for us to be talking about this because if we have to flex our structure a little bit to accommodate the expansion that God's bringing us, the favor he's bringing us, then praise God, let's, we'll flex. But how do we flex? How do we accomplish that? And still stay true to the scripture, you know, and still stay true to who we are as Baptists in a way that's still effective in overseeing these great works that God is bringing to us. The church is... He's beautiful, the bride of Christ, the family of God, the flock of the good shepherd, the army of God, the body of Christ, all these metaphors that God gives us about the church. The church matters. You matter, we matter. We are God's idea, we are God's children, and we are privileged to be the church. So we wanna make sure we're the church that belongs to Jesus. That's Jesus' vision, that's Jesus' values, that goes after Jesus' mission, all for Jesus' glory. The church doesn't belong to us, it belongs to him, amen? We belong to him. So we are to be the church that Jesus defines us to be, not one after our own preferences. So as we close here, are you a part of the church? Are you a member of the family of God? Are you one of Jesus's sheep where he tells us in one of his many amazing parables that what will a man do if he has a hundred sheep but loses one? He leaves the 99 and goes running after the one. That's how much Jesus loves each and every single one of us. But are you one of those sheep? Are you adopted into the family of God? That happens when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you read the scriptures or you hear a message that talks about the good news, that God is holy, God is righteous, he is just, he is all powerful. Then you hear the bad news that we are pretty much exactly the opposite. We are sinners. We are almost powerless. We are helpless to overcome our sin on our own. That's depressing. Then you hear the greatest news is that God takes care of our situation. We're sending his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place. Because our sin demands justice. Our sin demands wrath and judgment. Jesus takes that for us if we'll just trust in him as our Lord and our Savior. And when we do that, the moment we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're adopted into the family of God. And the good news is, once you're adopted, you can't be unadopted. In biblical times, an adopted child's rights were even more secure and steadfast than a biological child's rights. If you had a biological child, you could back then disown that child. But once you adopted a child, you could not ever do that. And that's the picture that God paints for us. 
we trust in Christ, become a part of this amazing, beautiful reality called the church. We're adopted into his family forever. So are you a part of the people of God? Are you a part of this church, this idea that God had and implemented to execute his kingdom plan on this planet to get the gospel to the nations and to further bring his kingdom to earth. Are you a part of that? That's what we're called to be as we are the church. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we we love you. God, we thank you for this amazing reality that you have gifted us with the church. And Lord, we know that unlike the groom, you, Jesus, we know that we are not perfect. Lord, there's no such thing as a perfect church because God, our churches are filled with sinful people like me. But God, in spite of that, you have still ordained to leverage and use your body, the church, to take your gospel to the nations. And God, as a church family, as we look at all these opportunities you're bringing our way and God, some great things you're doing in us and through us, God, give us wisdom and discernment how to effectively lead that. And God, help us just to follow your biblical pattern. God, I pray right now, there may be some here who aren't part of the church yet. God, is there questioning, curious, maybe confused about the different religious things that are being taught out there. God, I just pray you give clarity that you help us to understand the power to get the simplicity of the gospel. That it's Jesus and my place and through my faith in him, I am saved and I live It's like the Apostle Paul that says, I'm crucified with Christ, but yet I live. But yes, not me, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith. So God, I pray that you would grant that kind of understanding to anyone here or watching online who's not in that relationship with you yet. God, just empower us to be the church you've called us to be in order to do the great things you've called us to do. So Lord, we give this time to you. Praise you for your glory in Christ's name.